0: Easter. I know it's Easter Sunday. I had a guy ask me, do you do an Easter sunrise service? I said, no. If you'd like to be up at sunrise, you can do a service. Go right ahead. I am usually asleep at sunrise, uh, especially not having to work at the bus yard and so forth. I've enjoyed sleeping in a little bit. So anyway, but uh, we it's a fascinating thing when you think about Easter uh, this time of year and uh, the season and everything. And I'll be honest with you, it's Having traditions with your family is a wonderful thing because it's with your family, and a family is is one of the 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 main components of civilization that God instituted in Genesis, and the institution of family. And I think it's critical that way. Just have the tradition to be proper and be with some understanding. And I know today people have lunch and so forth, so we'll get done about one, and you can get there. Okay, I'm just kidding. The eyes are rolls like, oh my goodness, no, I'm, we'll be done here. Uh, pretty quickly, uh, maybe. Uh, but uh, the, the issue that have the traditions, you know, Paul says, I've given you traditions and I've given you my word, and I, you need to do that. And I think that's very important. Just do it with the proper understanding of really, we celebrate the Lord's death, burial, and resurrection daily. There, there was a conversation we had yesterday in the men's fellowship about annihilation. <laughs> And you think about that heretic doctrine of annihilation, and, and, you know, the honest thing is, is if you believe in annihilation, you no longer cease to exist when you die, then you say that Romans 6 and your identity in Christ is a lie. Because we have a co-death, burial, and resurrection with Christ. If I die and cease to exist, then I don't have that identity with Christ. So, we begin to think about the death, burial, and resurrection of Christ, and it literally impacts every component of our faith, of our understanding, of our walk in Christ. And when you think about this stuff, it's always fascinating, by the way, it always fascinates me about a lot of things, okay? But when people come up with new ideas, by the way, they're not new. Solomon said there's nothing new under the sun, okay? If you wanna- but they come up with this one, and they don't work it out to its conclusion, And they don't take in the consequences of what happens when you do work it to that conclusion. And I would encourage you that if you do have a new idea or you're entertaining something different, one, come and talk to me and I'll help you understand it or not understand it or whatnot, because that's what I'm here for. But also to, in your own mind, work it to a conclusion. And when you do that, leave yourself open for other possibilities. You know, I had a guy one time, well, that just can't be. I'm like, well, what do you mean it can't be? I just gave you another possibility. So then guess what? It could be something else. And anyway, it's not what we're talking about today. It just goes to the brain, right? Second Corinthians chapter number 2, the Apostle Paul writes here some things here that are very, I just really read, look at, remember, and remind ourselves Uh, that we should be thinking about on a daily basis. Verse 14, he says, Now thanks be unto God, which always causeth us to triumph in Christ, and maketh manifest the Savior of his knowledge by us in every place. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ, in them that are saved and in them that perish. To the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other, the savor of life unto life. And who is sufficient for these things? Isn't that a great question? Who in the world, in your own energy, are you sufficient to be to a savor, a sweet-smelling savor? I love that. Uh, the, the issue of, uh, of aromatherapy here, you know? The, the, you, you, you take the incense and you turn them on and it... I don't know what they are, so if I get them wrong, you just laugh at me because I don't know what they are. I, the only reason, well, since getting sick and stuff over the years, I can't smell anything anyway, you know, and that's been going on for ten years or better. So Linda's like, "Oh, don't you smell the orange blossoms?" Nope, but I know they're there because my eyes are running and my nose is running, <laughs> but I can't smell them. And oh, get right up. She, she's got these uh, gardenias. Oh, they smell beautiful. You know where i got to put them? Like right there. Right on the face, you know, because it just, and then you get, but that aromatherapy, there's an odor here, there's a smell here. The, by the way, there's a benefit from smell. If you've ever come across a dead animal, it has, oh, has a certain smell, doesn't it? Bad smell, rotten smell. But when you come across something that, by the way, that, that bad smell can, can trigger bad memories, Odor can do that, smell can do that. You can you can have a good smell that'll trigger good memories and it will calm you down, relax you. What's the incense that's supposed to relax you? Lavender or something like that, okay? So you go, ooh. Oh. And then the kid walks in the room. There it went. Okay, it's over now. Right? So you've got all of this, you got all of this aroma. And folks, we need to understand that there's a smell that has an impact in our lives. And that's what he's doing here. And that's what Paul's reminding us. Paul has come out of verse number 12 and 13 of having no rest in the Spirit. Circumstances are, are all shook up in his life right now. He can't find Titus. He's, he's worried. Life isn't exactly roses. By the way, smell the roses, you know, go down, smell. So he, he can't do that. He can't enjoy Look at verse 12. Furthermore, when I came to Troas to preach Christ's gospel, and a door was opened unto me of the Lord, he has an open opportunity for ministry. Now, Paul can go do the ministry, but notice what he says. I had no rest in my spirit, because I found not Titus my brother, but taking my leave of them. You know what he didn't go do? He didn't go do the ministry work. You know why? Because he couldn't give 100%. You don't do the ministry halfway. You do it 100%. And if you can't do it 100%, get out of it. Quit doing it. Shut your mouth and be quiet. That's what Paul's doing here. Paul says, I had an open door. I could go, but I couldn't go because I wasn't on board 100%. I had no rest. I couldn't find Titus. I'm worried about Titus. So he leaves and goes to Macedonia. You pick it up in chapter 7 where he gets to Macedonia, and he's all, he, fighting within and fears without. He's in a depressed mode, we would say. He's got he's depression. He's thought himself down into a, to a, just a bottomless pit. Can't get out of it, except for who showed up. Chapter 7, Titus did. And the showing up of the brother... With a good report, of what the hey they're doing well, man. They're they're doing great in Macedonia. They're they're on board. Here's the collection and all this stuff. Verse fourteen. Now thanks be unto God. He's going to give you the recipe to get out of the funk. I found a radio station that plays all the oldies, the eighty music. You know the the oldies. That's oldies, yeah, that's oldies now. Okay. The, so you know what happens is is. You get, you get all this, and you get this going, and he says, hey, you want to get out of the funk? Let's put the right station on. Let's get the right odor going in your life. Let's remember something here about what's happening. In verse 14, now thanks be unto God, which always causes us to triumph in Christ. you got to understand, folks, you're part of a victory program. You're not a loser. You're a winner. Okay? And you don't get a... You, you, I know, it used to be, you give them a participation trophy. You don't get that. You get the first place trophy. You're the winner. You're in a victory program. You have victory. Come over. Here. Look at 1 Corinthians 15. you got to understand, when you think about life, and by the way, I'm going to say this, I'm going to say it again. The reason you're a victory is because of Calvary, because of his death, burial, and what? Resurrection. The resurrection seals the deal. It's done. Paid in full. He was raised for our offenses. Uh, justification. Okay, see nugget like dad. I just get second get 1 Corinthians 15 and I'll read Romans 4 <laughs> verse 25. I'm thinking about that funk town getting, and being in a funk. Who was delivered for our offenses and was raised again for our justification. Look at second 1 Corinthians 15, the end of that chapter. Verse 57. But thanks be unto God, which giveth us the victory. Where? Where is our victory? Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brethren, be ye steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, For as much as ye know that your labor is not in vain in the Lord. In 2 Corinthians 2.14, what does he say? Hey, let's give thanks to God who what, Causes us to what? Have that victory. Trium- but Where? It's in Christ. It's not your activity. It's not you doing something. It's Him and His life working in and out and through your life. That's what it always is. It doesn't matter the details of what you're doing, but whatever you are doing, whether wherever you're at in your life and in your role and in your activity and in your thinking and what you're doing, it's a, it's... His life living out through your life. That's what's going to happen in the heavenly places. We were talking about that yesterday. In the heavenly places, it's His life living out through you in the heavenly places. That's what He's doing. That's what He's always done. He isn't changing gears on you going, okay, I told you all this stuff, but now we got to go do that. And you huh? No, it's this is what He's doing. The exceeding riches that you have in Him. Because of who you are in him. You have that now. You okay with the rabbit trail? Look at Romans 6. I know it's up there. We'll get there in just a minute. Hold on to 2 Corinthians. Romans, well, you know what? Just go to 2 Corinthians. I'll calm down. 2 Corinthians 2.14. Stay on the point. And maketh manifest the savor of his knowledge by us in every Place, the savor of his knowledge. He has a he has a fragrance that you're to wear. He has a a smell, an odor. God has a sense of smell here. Okay, you take that Dracar. That's how old I am. Squirt, 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 and what do you do? You smell good. I guess it's Axe or whatever. I'm Old Spice. I just go right back to the old guy. You know, just that's what I am. Put it on. Let's go. What what do you do? You get an odor. You have a smell. Now, when he talks here about the savor and the smell, he's talking about a figure of speech. Is what he's using to describe something here. To describe the fact is, verse 15, for we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ in them that are saved and in them that perish. We, you and I, we smell like Christ. And again, figure of speech, but to draw a picture here. What's Paul talking about here? Man, you, you, he, he, uh, by the way, it's a clear use of a figure of speech, okay? Because how in the world would you know what Christ smelled like? You weren't walking with him. Did he, did he take a bath today? Did he take a shower today or no? You know, what, you know, what's up? Is it once a week? Is it once a moon? Is it what, what is it? He's not talking about the... Fi- he's rather talking about a, using a figure of speech to emphasize a very wonderful doctrine of truth. And he's talking about you and I in our daily lives, no matter what comes up. The context is turmoil in Paul's life. What can come up in your life? Turmoil trouble bad news good news whatever it is you know boom here it is i get a phone call from linda she's visiting her aunt in the west valley uh rick uh yeah Uh, the lady next door backed into the car is the car okay that's what i asked her she goes yes i'm fine thank you (laughs) yes the car is okay yeah exactly i was like oh rule number one for husbands ask about the wife first you know before, when she's had accidents, I've always asked her, but I, she caught me mid-thought, and at least that's my excuse, you know. I'm got i I'm pretty good at that. You know, what, what happened? Oh, no, now what are we going to do? Well, it didn't do any damage or anything. It broke the taillight. We'll, we'll get that fixed Monday. That's not a problem, okay? But what happened? Then all of a sudden, just overwhelming, right? He says, wait a second, calm down. Verse 15, who are you? For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ. Now watch, in them that believe. There's two groups here. There's the believers, the saints, and then the unbelievers, the parish. To the believer, to those who, who understand the word of God rightly divided. To those who understand Paul and his apostleship and the preaching of Jesus Christ according to the revelation of the mystery. To those who understand the gospel what are we we have a certain odor to those that perish to those who don't trust who don't believe who look over there and think that you're nuts for going to church on Sunday morning for 3 hours some of you don't even come for 3 hours shame 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 <laughs> listen you know what what do they see they see fools foolishness. You got an odor. You got a smell. Verse 16, to the one we are the savor of death unto death, and to the other, savor of life unto life. Wow. Now the end of the verse is key. And who is sufficient for these things? Wow. Now think about what he's talking about here. Nobody is sufficient and of ourselves. Come over to chapter 3 and look at verse 5. Where do we have our sufficiency? It's in Christ. Verse 5, not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think anything as of ourselves, but our sufficiency is of God. Think about that. Where, we got this odor over here, this certain smell. The citrus fields are blooming. The rose bushes are in full bloom. The gardenia smell is just there. To the believer, what do we smell like? Oh, I just can't wait to be around you. Oh, look, I just want to have a house full of you. Put the vase up and decorate you. There you are. To the unbeliever, what are we? Throw them in the garbage. This morning, I got here and trimmed the lilies up, the dead ones off. Why? They've wilted. They're dead. What do you do? You discard them. You get rid of them. And he says, man, but your sufficiency isn't in you. Who are you decorating your house with? Christ. Who are you putting in that vase? Yeah, I'm putting Rick and everybody. Yeah, I'm doing this and yeah. But it's really who? It's Christ. And it's the life of Christ. And it's the odor that he is exudes through you and through your life. That's a tremendous... Doctrine to wrap into your brain. Get in your head, get around. You know, because you know we talk about living who we are in Christ and doing this and doing that. And he's and Paul stops, and he goes, you know what? Man, when you're living as who you are in Christ, when you're out there doing in your life where you're at, the things that Christ would have you do, and you're walking worthy and you're well pleasing, it's because it's his life doing that. He's the soil, he's the water, he's the driving. Come back with me to Genesis chapter 8. There's a wonderful thing here through Scripture about a sweet smell, a sweet odor, a sweet fragrance to the Lord. Look at Genesis 8. In Genesis 8, you've got the flood. You've got Noah coming off the boat. Noah, the flood is done, the water. Noah's leaving verse 20, and Noah built an ark unto the Lord, an altar unto the Lord, and took of every clean beast and of every clean fowl, and offered burnt offerings on the altar. Don't ever let anybody tell you that he just put two of each animal on the, bo- on the boat. First of all, Noah didn't put any animals on the boat. God did. God put the twos on, and God put seven of every clean animal on there. Well, Noah didn't have a law for seven clean. No, but the law of God does. The righteous law of God says, these are the clean animals, these who you eat. He put them on there. We don't have an if-then issue until Moses shows up. But the law of God is righteous. It doesn't change. It's immutable. It's there. It's done. It's period. Boom. So what does he do? He builds an altar. Now watch verse 21. And the Lord smelled a sweet savor. And the Lord said in his heart, look at where the Lord talks. It's in his heart. I will not again curse the ground anymore for man's sake. For the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Neither will I again smite anymore everything, every living, everything living as I have done. While the earth remaineth, see time and harvest, and cold and heat, and summer and winter, and day and night, shall not you know what you don't have to worry about? Climate warming. Sorry. I know man's got a negative impact on the environment. I ain't saying that. What's never going to stop? The cycles. Sorry. You know why I know that? The Word of God says it ain't stopping. Yeah, but Rick the science. The Word of God says it ain't stopping. Sorry. Now again, a man, sinful man has had an impact on the environment. I ain't saying he hasn't. But don't get caught up into, well, it's going to stop. It ain't stopping. Even though we may only have two days of winter and a day and a half of spring, we still had what? Winter and spring. Okay? All right? all right. That's not even a stepstone stone I, or a bench I get on. But notice verse 21. What did the Lord smell? But what did Noah do in verse 20? He just offered a sacrifice, didn't he? He went out there, took the clean animal, killed it, put it on there. I mean, you think about the altar. It's got wood. It's got sticks. It's got some blood on it. It's got a hunk of raw meat on it. And he goes over. But what did Noah do that was a sweet odor to the Lord? He believed the word of God. He responded positively to God's word. He trusted the word of God. He said, Noah, when you get on the other side over there, you're going to offer me an altar, you're going to build me an altar, you're going to offer me a sacrifice. And Noah said, yes, sir, I am. And then Noah, in the sufficiency that he had of who he was in Christ at the moment, in the word of God written to him in the moment, you know what he did? He went and did what the word of God said he was to do. Now come to Luke 24. Now that imagery of Noah and the altar and the offering is very familiar all through crea- all through the scripture. By the way, we had another Luke 24. We have another altar picture drawn for us in Genesis 22 with Abraham and Isaac, don't we? We have another altar, but at that altar in Genesis 22, Moses or I'm sorry, Abraham never sacrificed Isaac. But he did what? He responded positively to the word of God, did what he was supposed to do, was ready to do it, and the Lord stopped him because that was the seed line you're killing. We're not doing that. Paul uses that. Now, Paul and Luke were very good buddies. And when Paul talks and uses that sweet savor terminology, I'll be honest with you, I think he's thinking about Luke 24 here and what the ladies do. Luke 24, verse 1. By the way, here are the original Spice Girls. Again, I've been listening to the 80s and stuff. You know, this, okay? Oh, ooh, ooh, okay. Here they are. You, know, you, you remember the Spice Girls? Scary Spice, Sporty Spice, Baby Spice, Ginger Spice, Posh Spice. I had to write them, I had to Google them to, figure, to remember. Here they are. Here are the original Spice Ladies, okay? Verse 1 Upon the first day of the week, very early in the morning, they came to the, unto the sepulchre bringing spices, the spices which they had prepared, and certain others with them. If you, the, the they there, if you look down at verse 10, it was Mary Magdalene and, and Joanna and the Mary of the mother of James and the other women that were with them. The ladies go. And what are they doing? They're, they're, they're on their way to the tomb. Now, the Lord's already gone. He's already resurrected, verse 2. And they found the stone rolled away from the sepulcher. In in John and in Matthew, they're debating as they go about who's going to roll away the stone. (laughs) The stone's in the front. We can't do it. We're going to have to have somebody to do it. But they get there, and guess what they find? It's already rolled away. And they entered in and found not the body of the Lord Jesus. Isn't that interesting? The stones rolled away, and there's no body. Now, do you think that caused a little bit of, uh, uh uh-oh, what's going on here? Well, what does verse 4 say? And it came to pass, as they were much, what, perplexed. I think they would be. I would be. you got my Savior. You've got my Messiah. you got the guy I trust and I'm believing in, and he's gone. Where'd you take him? There about, behold, two men stood by them in shining garments. These two guys... Are angels. And as they were afraid and bowed down their faces to the earth, they said unto them, Why seek ye the living among the dead? Boy, what a question. He's not here. He's risen. Come over to John chapter 10. John chapter 10. They assume when the ladies come, they assume he's there, don't they? Now, they have a little walk of unbelief here because what has the Lord been teaching them for the last couple months of his life? How about John 10, verse 17? John 10, 17. Therefore doth my Father love me because I lay down my life that I might take it again. No man taketh it from me but I lay it down of myself I have power to lay it down and I have power to take it again. This is the this commandment have I received of my father. What's he just telling these guys? Well, if I ha- if I have the power to lay my life down and no man can take it, what's he talking about? He's talking about dying. I'm going to go die, guys. Come let John go. Come back there to Luke 18. Matthew 12, I mean, Luke 18, let's go there, Luke 18. You see, he's been teaching them about his death. Luke 18, look at verse 31. Get Luke 18 and get Matthew 16. Luke 18, Matthew 16. Matthew 16, Luke 18. Matthew 16, verse 21 and then we're going to look at Luke 18. Look at Matthew 16, 21. You see, folks, when he talks, talking about sweet savor, he's talking about sacrifice. That's the picture being drawn. Look at Luke eight, Look at Luke, Matthew 16, verse number 21. Now watch the wording very carefully here. From that time forth began Jesus to show unto his disciples how that he must go unto Jerusalem and suffer many things of the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and be raised again the third day. Has the Lord been telling them about his death, burial, and resurrection before Matthew 16, 21? No. That verse says, Matthew 16:21, where he's just gotten done dealing with rebuking the Pharisees, talking to the about the, the leaven, and talking to Peter, and about who he was, and so forth. And he says, now it's time for me to tell you about my death, burial, and resurrection. He never mentioned a word of it before that. Okay? Now, Luke 18. Luke 18, verse 31. Because this picks up Matthew 16. Then he took unto him the twelve, and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written by the prophets concerning the Son of Man shall be accomplished. Okay? So everything that the prophets said is got to happen. What did they say? Verse 32. By the way, this is Psalms. This is Isaiah. This is, uh, for he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated, and spit it on. And they shall scourge him, and put him to death, and the third day he shall rise again. What does the prophet say? What does Isaiah 50 say? What does Isaiah 52 say? What does Isaiah 53 say? What does Psalm 16 say? What does Psalms 22 say? What does Psalm 69 say? What's got to happen to him? He's got to go, be delivered to the Gentiles, beat up, scourged, and then... Crucified, and then on the third day, what's he gonna do? Rise again. Rise again, right? That's what the that's what they say. So, what did the what was their response? Verse 34. And they understood everything he said, and they said, No, they understood what? None of these things. You know, when the ladies went to the tomb and they're arguing about who's gonna roll the stone away, they think he's still in there. They haven't comprehended the doctrine of his resurrection yet. It's not that they don't believe what he said, they're just not understanding it. Look at, well, just, and this saying was hid from them, neither knew they the things which were spoken. At this point in Luke 18, they got nothing. <laughs> they're, they're just like, okay, Lord, you know, I know you said the prophets, and we're just going to take your word on it. <laughs> and off they go. They missed the doctrine that he'd been teaching them. Come over to Mark 16. So when they come, they don't come with a, up from the grave, he arose. They come from a, oh my goodness, they've killed me." They've come from the defeat of of losing a loved one. They come with this, oh my goodness, we've lost him. He's not here anymore. What are we going to do? They come from they come in defeat assuming he's still in the grave mark 16 verse 1 and when the sabbath was past mary magdalene and mary the mother of james and salome she, there's another of the lady had brought sweet spices that they might come and, and anoint him they come to do what to anoint him over there the lord's going to wash the feet and they go down and they, they feed. He does all that. He shows them the service. And then over here, Mary and Mary are going at it. And Mary pulls out that box of alabaster and anoints him in a picture of his, of his resurrection. And oh, Judas Iscariot jumps all over her. Man, do you know how much that stuff could cost and we could do this? And it's all these pictures of this sweet savor of a sacrifice that man needed. And they miss it. They come in, and they're going to anoint him. He's not there. If you come over to John 20, just kind of get you the idea here. Has he not told them that he was going to rise the third day? Yeah. Has the prophet sung the songs? Yes. Look at John 20. It's not on the board. You get an extra biblical uh, help here. Look at John 20, verse 1. The first day of the week cometh Mary Magdalene early, when it was yet dark under the sepulcher, and seeth the stone taken away from from the sepulcher. Then she runneth and come unto Simon Peter, and she runs and gets the guys, and the guys come. Peter and John, they come and they go in. Verse 9. For as yet they knew not the scripture that he must rise again from... The dead. Wait a second. What did we just read in Luke? That was John 20, verse 9. What did we just read in Luke 18? He told them. The prophets said. So they didn't know? They knew it. They heard it. They just weren't what? Believing it. You're in John. Come over to chapter 12. How? So these ladies are coming with spices. They're coming to anoint him. They're looking to get in there and get around his body and put these ointments on him. So he's, there's a sweet odor about him. Remember Lazarus? Lazarus, come forth. And he comes hopping out. And he says unraveling. And then he says he stinks. He's only been dead four days. And the Lord says he stinks. Clean him up. Let's go. We've got stuff to do. That's what they're doing. I think about these ladies. They take something that's so valuable to them. And they're going to go over and they're going to spread it on the body of their Messiah, their Savior. The one that means even more to them than the very life that they were living. And they were willing to do it. Glad to do it. Wanting to do it mad when they got there and he wasn't there could you imagine getting mad because he's risen they're upset they're perplexed he's, what, do you, what do you mean he's risen and then the, it takes angels to say hey why are you looking for the living among the dead he's not here well wait a minute what do you mean he's not here I just spent all this money at Walmart I gotta do come on and, and there's like no one of the spices, I had to look it up, spikenard, it literally was a year's wage to get an ounce. Frankincense. they brought that as a gift, which is the embalming fluid for, it's a spice, it's a fluid for the profit, it's what it pictures. That thing was like three, and our modern day money is like about like ten grand. For just a little bit. This stuff's valuable. That's how much they valued the Messiah. That's how much they valued their Savior. They didn't just throw him away, they're up there. Now, think about the the issue of a spice. At the house, we have basil growing. And I can smell basil. It's a, man, it's such a beautiful smell. Take basil. Take time, rosemary. Put it in your hand, and what do you do? You crush it, don't you? And that aroma just comes. When you re- to release the fragrance of the spice, you've got to crush it. You've got to press it. You take a mortal and a pedestal and you grind on it. And as they came to anoint the body, They had already grind they're ready to grind on it and release the aroma over his body. Now look at John twelve, verse one. And Jesus six days before the Passover came to Bethany, where Lazarus, which was which had been dead, whom he raised from the dead, there they made him a supper. And Martha served, but Lazarus was one of them that sat at the table with him. Then took Mary a pound of ointment of spikenard. There it is. Very costly. And anointed the feet of Jesus and wiped his feet with her hair. And the house was filled with the odor of the anointment. Notice what she does. She takes the spikenard. Very expensive. She puts it down in that mortal and pedestal, and she grinds away at it. Meanwhile, what's beginning to fill up the house? That aroma. And she goes over, verse 4, Then saith one of his disciples, Judas Iscariot, Simon's son, which should betray him, Why was not this ointment sold for the 300 pence and given to the poor? Always the religious guy in the crowd. He's missing the significance of what's happening here, isn't he? Verse 6, this he said, not that he cared for the poor, but because he was a thief and had the bag and bear them, and bear what was put therein. He's the treasurer. You know what the religious motive behind feeding the poor is? To get into your pocketbook and get your money. How do you know that? The book just said so verse 8 for the poor always ye have with you but me ye have not always notice the lord's response verse 7 then said jesus let her alone against the day of my what burying, burying has she kept this notice what this notice what mary was looking toward Her burial, his burial. You see that? She had heard him talk about being what? Dead, buried, and resurrected. But she's thinking about what? The burying part. I got this spiked nerd I've been saving up a whole year's salary for. 300 pounds, I've been, I got it over here, stuck over here in the cedar chest, I cap it under in the lock box, I got it in a lock, in a Ziploc bag, so nothing will leak out, and I'm going to take this, and I'm going to come over here, and wait a minute, here's the Lord in my house, sitting at my table, eating dinner with me and my family, and you know, and and the other guys there, and you know what, I'm going to go over here in a symbolic, in a symbolic, symbolic gesture, and I'm going to put it on him, and it's symbolizing Calvary. Now, if she had been paying attention, she would have understood about the what? The resurrection. She's focused in on his what? His death. She's focused in on taking care of him. That's why verse 7, he says, Leave her alone because she has a heart of faith and she's operating inside of his death. This is John 12. He's going to die here in about eight chapters. He dies in less than two days from this event. It's ready for time for death. She's viewing Calvary and she's acting out in a response of faith. Now come back to Luke 24. They come. The first three verses, they enter in. They don't find the body. They come. They've crushed the spices to anoint the body. They're, they've come to release the, the, the aroma, to allow that aroma, that sweet smelling savor, to engulf the dead. And yet in verse four, they're perplexed instead, aren't they? Where is he? Where did he go? Why is he gone? What have they taken their eyes off of? Him. Now they're looking at the circumstance. What's the circumstance? What You and I, we get perplexed with the details of life, don't we? Circumstances come up and we get to, to the, into, the, into the same rhythm that they are in of not operating by faith, of looking around going, wait a minute, he's supposed to be here. Where did he go? Oh, my goodness. And, and you know what Paul says? We're perplexed, but not what? Destroyed. Isn't that? They shouldn't have been, to, you know what they should have said? Hallelujah! Woo, he's risen! All right, let's spray this stuff over over here on Joe Schmo. We'll get him to go, no, they didn't do that. They're asking questions. And it takes two angels, verse 5, to smack them out of it. Now, I say that in a figuratively manner, okay? I know what it is like to lose a, the, a loved one. And you know what? You tend to walk around in a daze for two or three days with the loss of. And the two angels reach over there and they say, Hey, why are you seeking the living among the dead? Remember what he said. What are you doing out here? What are you doing out here in the graveyard? Why are you in the cemetery? Who's in the cemetery? Dead people. What are you doing out here? You've got life in Christ. What are you living amongst the tombs for? You're not supposed to be there. You're supposed to be over here enjoying resurrection life. Oh, don't we get that way? Don't we get to pouting? Don't we get to Pity Party Central? Oh, you don't? I do. I'll claim it and name it. That's my badge. I'll wear that. You know, you get just beat down. You go, woe is me. Why can't they do Why can't they understand? Why? And you know what? It takes the, the word of God to reach up and just Dinozo slap the back of your head the way. Wake up. You know who Denozo is, NCI, Okay, just thinking, man. We get that way. Come over to Romans chapter 6. Unfortunately, we tend to spend a majority of our life in the graveyards. Now, you and I, our Christian life started in the tomb. It doesn't stay there, though, does it? Because what happened three days in? He rose. We start in the tomb but we're to end over here in glory in the heavenly places look at Romans 6 think about this in your identity when we went through Romans 6 7 and 8 in our study in the book of Romans in the first hour I tried to stress for 20 weeks of study through this or whatever it was if you are not grounded in who you are in Christ then your Christian life is going to be nothing but a roller coaster. Because when the coasters go up, you have no answer for what, what's come. When life comes your way, I said that a minute ago about annihilation, that idea. If you think that you cease to exist, then Romans 6, will not work in your life as it's designed to work in your life. Likewise, reckon ye Also yourselves to be dead indeed unto what? Sin. Sin. Well, wait a minute. No, this is your identity. Look at verse 3. Watch what Paul does with your identity. You know where he goes? He starts at the grave, doesn't he? Look at what he does. Know ye not that so many of us, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his what? Death. Now, again, baptism means identification. Identification. It's an ID. How do you ID them? Matthew chapter 3 and 1 verse is three baptisms. One's with water, one's with the Holy Ghost, and one's with fire. They're different. How do I identify you? Where's my identity? It's in Christ, in his death. Therefore, we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead, By the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life. How am I going to walk in the newness of life if I think I'm still a dead man over here? With no hope, no joy, nothing to look forward to. The newness of life isn't in the grave. The newness of life is in understanding resurrection. You guys there? The sweet smell. To them that believe, we got this odor of resurrection life about us. Of redemption life. Verse 5. For if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his, what? How did he die? On On the cross. He was crucified. Then what did they do? They go and they lay him in the tomb, don't they? And then all of a sudden the ladies come the next the, that morning and they say, He's not here, he's risen. Why looking for the living amongst the dead? He's gone. What has happened? He ain't there. He was there. He dies, he's buried, and then he rose again. And it's like, by the way, when he died, you remember what he said to the thief on the cross? Today you will be with me where? In paradise. This lunacy idea that paradise is a figment of our imagination and isn't a parable and it isn't real is just lunacy. It's actually trying to preach a Roman Catholic doctrine of purgatory and some other items. It's where it gets its bedding. Where, did, where was Christ when they when he gave up the ghost and they buried him? Where was he? Where did he go? He told the thief, I'll see you in paradise. I think he went to paradise. That's what the man said. I'll take his word over your word. Sorry. Then he's gone. By the way, you read about that. We didn't go down then there. He came out of those grave clothes. He didn't even move them. When Lazarus came hopping out, he came hopping out. They had to unwind him. The Lord, it says over there in Luke, he says the the grave clothes were there. And the linen lay where the head would have laid. The, the head nap, that napkin that goes over the face, was right, if, as if it was right there. He just literally came right out of those clothes, didn't move them. Now that's resurrection. That's life. Verse six. Verse five. Verse six. Knowing this that our old man is crucified with him, that the body of sin might be destroyed, that henceforth we should not serve sin, for he that is dead is freed from sin. Where do we begin our Christian life and our identity? As what? As dead men. We started in the grave. But what are we to do the end of verse 4 there? We're to walk in the what? In the newness of life, aren't we? We don't stay in the grave. We come over here and live life in His life, living out through us. Our identity is not in the graveyard anymore. Our identity is over here living in in Him and having His life live in our life. Not over there in 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 the grave. Come over to 2 Corinthians chapter 1. You see, we have this sweet odor to the believers of what? Of life. To the unbelievers, we just stink like death. Because where do they have us still? In the grave. They look at you and say, you believe that a Jew died on the cross for your sins? You're a fool. But they don't believe in the resurrection because that's even more foolishness. How can you say a man got up raised from the dead? Did you drink the Kool-Aid that day? See? 2 Corinthians 1. Look at verse 8. For we would not, brethren, have you ignorant of our trouble, which came to us in Asia, Paul talking here, that we were, notice, pressed out of measure, Above strength, insomuch that we despaired even of life. As Paul begins to describe ministry, life, 2 Corinthians is probably the most personal book Paul writes outside of Philemon. He writes about his life, his ministry, what he did, his thinking processes through the whole 13 chapters. You see, you you see a look down into his life. And you know what he says? He says, in ministry, you know what happened to me? I got pressed, and a fragrance was released. An odor was released. And to the world out there, you know what it smells like? Death unto death. But you know what it should smell like? It should, For you, it should be a sweet savor, a sweet odor. Come back to 1 Corinthians 4. It's fascinating here. 1 Corinthians 4. When you think about what was happening at Calvary, what was happening at the day of resurrection, when when Paul looks over there and he says, this is what you're going to smell like. 1 Corinthians 4, verse number 9. For I I, I think that God has set forth us, the apostles' last, as it were, appointed to death. For we are made a spectacle unto the world, and to angels, and to men. We are fools for Christ's sake, but ye are wise in Christ. We are weak, but ye are strong. Ye are honorable, but we are despised. Isn't that something? Look at how they look at you. By the way, the we there is the Corinthians. That's what low standing that they had. Verse 11, even unto this present hour we both hunger and thirst and are naked and are buffeted and have no certain dwelling place and labor, working with our hands. Being reviled, we bless. Being persecuted, we suffer it. Being defamed, we entreat. We are made as the filth of the world and are the off of all things unto this day. Paul's out doing ministry, and you know what he says the world he looks at those Corinthians and says, you have the same attitude that the world has about me because you'd rather have something else and not the truth. Off-scurring, you know what that is? That's when you burnt the lasagna in the pan and you can't get that last little bit. That's the best part, though. But you can't get that off the pan. What do you do? You soak it. Then you get the hammer and chisel out to get it off. That, that's that, ugh, that's the stuff at the bottom. It doesn't smell too good when it's been sitting. And you know what Paul says? Man, that's where we're at. That's how we smell. Go back to 2 Corinthians 4. 2 Corinthians 4. You and I are to have a, a, we have an odor about us, folks. And that odor is going to impact who we're around. Around believers, whoo, smell like the roses. The unbelievers, you just smell like that off-scurring. Garbage, death, stench. But to God and who we are in Christ, guess what we are? Oh, we're a sweet savor. But we're a sweet savor because of the resurrection. 2 Corinthians 4, Paul writes in verse number 7, but we have this treasure In earthen vessels. Now, the treasure is the ministry, but it's specifically in verse 6 the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Jesus Christ. We have this ministry, we have this treasure. What do we have? We have the light to shine in a dark world. We go out and we give the gospel and we preach about God's grace and His peace, and He's not just one little thing, it's the whole of it. We're out doing ministry. Where does he have it? He's got it in an earthen vessel. What can you do to an earthen vessel? You can crack that thing up, can't you? You can smash it. You can break it. But the pow- that the excellency of the power may be of God and not of us. When you start thinking it's about you, you know what's going to happen? You're going to run into that block wall and get reminded it ain't about you. It's about him. We are troubled on every side, yet not distressed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not forsaken. Cast down, but not destroyed. Look at the attitude. We're being crushed. We're being pressed. The world sees a foolish, and they see the weakness. But what does God see? That sweet savor, that sweet fragrance of life unto life. What do you see of each other? The same always bearing about in the body the dying of the Lord Jesus, that the life also of Jesus might be made manifest in our body. God sees that the more we're crushed, the more we're pressed. What does he say in 2 Corinthians 12? Paul's got that thorn in the flesh, and he says, My grace is what? Sufficient. My grace is sufficient for thee, for my strength is made perfect in weakness. Paul retorts back, most gladly, therefore will I rather glory in my infirmities. Why? That the power of Christ may rest upon me. Therefore, I take pleasure in infirmities, in reproaches, in necessities, in persecutions, in distress. For Christ's sake, for when I am weak, then am I strong. What does the world see you as? 1 Corinthians 1, foolish, weak. God says, man, the more you're crushed in that mortar, come over to 2 Corinthians 2, the more you are put under the grind of ministry, of standing there, of living life as who you are in Christ, the sweeter you smell to me. You got 2 Corinthians 2? Hold there. Go to 1 Corinthians 15. Quickly, quickly, quickly. 1 Corinthians 15. By the way, if you ever have any doubts about the resurrection, just read 1 Corinthians 15. It'll take care of it for you. The whole chapter is about why we believe in the resurrection. And if you don't believe in the resurrection, I would encourage you to study out 1 Corinthians 15 very closely. But look at 1 Corinthians 15. Look at verse 10. As you're being pressed, as you're being crushed, as life got you and you're under its pressures and you are beginning to release who you are in Christ, you're releasing the fragrance of who you are in Christ. You're over here going, you know what? Life has got me, but you know who I am. I'm in Christ. My sufficiency is in Christ. My sufficiency is who he's made me. And, so, and you begin to take the word and you begin to put it into details of life and you begin to live it. Paul says something very wonderful here in verse 10. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. Boy, there's life, man. You know what? You're not me. You're you. You don't live where I live. You live where you live. And where you live, what are you to do? Verse 10. And his grace, which was bestowed upon me, was not in vain. Is his grace in your life empty, vain, empty, worthless? Or is it working? Is it doing its job? Well, keep reading. But I labored more abundantly than they all. Paul says, I put my nose to the grindstone. I paid attention to what I was doing. I'm right there trucking with the ministry. I'm doing, I'm doing, and I labored more than everybody. Now, what usually happens here is everybody goes, oh, he's just full of his self and pride and flesh, but keep reading the verse. Why can he say, I labored more abundantly than they all? Why can he say that, hey, the grace of God was bestowed upon me was not in vain? Does Paul live a perfect life? No, he messed up. He did this. He says, I've learned to be content. I didn't do it before. I do now. But notice what he is focuses in on the end of that verse. Yet what? Not I. Look at where he went. He didn't say, I'm doing a great job. He says, I labor more abundantly than they are, but yet not I. But the grace of God, which was, Ooh, look at that. What does Galatians 2.20 say? I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live. I live it right here. You're going to get up in the morning. Inflation's through the roof. Gas price, 130 bucks to fill up my truck the other day. I was on half a tank. Okay, I think I need a new job. Just to pay the... You know what happens? Hey, life gets in there. What are you paying, about eight bucks for a dozen of eggs now or something goofy like that? Hey, hey, things going on. You're in there. What's happening? Details of life are pressing on you. And I'll tell you what, you know what it's making? It's making for some of us clearly abundantly what is critical in our lives and and where we're lacking. All of a sudden, the things that we've accumulated, Well, I gotta make this payment, I gotta make that payment, I gotta do this, and I gotta do that. Is becoming more okay. You're meddling, Rick. Well, 2 Corinthians 2, that's what Paul's doing. Hey, the more we're crushed, the more we're underneath that details of life, we ought to be releasing something that is in Christ, that's inside of you. Verse 15, 2 Corinthians 2, 15. For we are unto God a sweet savor of Christ. The fragrance that we are releasing is Christ, not Old Spice, sorry. Not Dracar. not Nautical, not Gucci or whatever else you wear. White Rose, what? Oh, okay, whatever. I'm trying, I don't know, I'm just trying to think of stuff I see as I walk by the counter at, this, at the mall. None of that. What are you releasing? You're releasing Christ. You're releasing who you are in him. We are to release, we're to smell like, we're to have the aroma of Christ. And what is, but I, I am crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. And the life which I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. How did Christ live his life? In complete and total obedience and dependency upon the Word of God to Him. How do you live in your life? What happens in the pressure of the moments? Where do you turn, Doctor Phil, Doctor O, Brother Jack, Captain Morgan? Yeah, uh, don't guess it. That's the more. That's the Holy Roller aisle over there. Okay. No, where do you go? You ought to be going to who you are in Christ. Folks, I know it's Resurrection Sunday on the religious calendar, but we celebrate this every day. And if you're not, you're fooling yourself because it's where you need to be. Look one more time, Ephesians 5 and I'll be done, I promise. Ephesians 5, verse 1. Be ye therefore followers of God, even as dear children, and walk in love as Christ also hath loved us and hath given himself for us an offering and a sacrifice to God for a sweet-smelling Savior. Dear Father, we thank you for the morning, Lord. We thank you for your word. We thank you for what you accomplished for us at Calvary. We thank you for all that the Father has made us in you. And we rest there, even when the details of life get us down and get us rolling. Lord, I just pray that we would be able to take a breath and to be reminded of who we are in you. And then to live and adjust our thinking and to live there and let everything else just be. And to rest exclusively and totally on your word to us right here, right now, today, in the age of grace. In your name we pray. Amen. All right, we'll be stand, we'll be dismissed with the.